We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's Word, and I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Peter, and the second chapter of the book of 1 Peter, and the second chapter this morning, and I'll be preaching on one verse, and that's verse 24, 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 24. I invite you to read along silently as I read this text aloud this morning. Here Peter writes in verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your kindness to us today, for this opportunity to gather as your people, to hear your word preached, and we would pray for your blessing upon us today. We would ask for the work of the Holy Spirit, that he would do that work that only he, as the sovereign Spirit of God, can do, in granting us an understanding of this text, explaining it to us in such a way that our lives are transformed our desire is to bring honor and glory to you. For we ask these things this morning in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. This morning we want to return to a text that we addressed last Sunday as we were considering the sufferings of Christ as a model for our own. For you'll recall that as Christians we have been called to suffer during the course of our sojourn or the course of our pilgrimage on this earth and to give us hope and comfort in the midst of our sufferings to help us focus on the one who leads us safely and faithfully through our sufferings, Peter points us to the Lord Jesus. To the Lord Jesus. For Jesus went before us as one who suffered greatly as one who experienced genuine human agony and his willingness to suffer submissively in the furtherance of his Father's will serves as an extreme model of how we should endure suffering as well. For as Peter stated back in verse 21 of this chapter, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example or a model so that you might follow in his steps. So while we're called to suffer as Christians, we are also called to see Jesus Christ through the eyes of faith this morning as the one who sustains us in our sufferings. And let us praise God that Christ does sustain us. He strengthens us in the midst of of our difficulties. And yet, while we should see Christ as our sustainer and as our supreme model for suffering, it is also important, in fact, we might argue this morning that it's far more important that we see Christ in the way that Peter portrays him next in verse 24. And that is, as the one who bore our sins in his body on the tree. For even more encouraging than the glorious reality that Christ now sustains us in times of suffering is the fact that 
Christ endured for us the ultimate suffering upon the cross so that we could be delivered from eternal suffering in hell. For had we perished in our sins apart from Christ, we would have suffered eternally. But because of Christ's suffering, as Peter states here in verse 24 of 1 Peter chapter 2, you and I who have been redeemed are dead to sin and alive unto righteousness. And truly, there is no greater encouragement in all of Holy Scripture than to know that Christ has delivered us from a suffering that would have kept us in eternal misery. And that Christ has given us instead a, a life, a righteousness that will ensure our eternal happiness and our eternal bliss. In fact, we should never cease to praise the Father for sending Jesus Christ to suffer for our sins. We should never cease praising Christ for enduring sin for us. And how did Christ deliver us from that suffering which you and I rightly deserved? And what does it mean for you and I who have been freed from the suffering of hell to be dead unto sin and alive unto righteousness? Well, brethren, let's briefly consider the answers to these important questions this morning that we might be deeply encouraged by the cross work of Christ. In fact, that's what I hope for all of us this morning. Deep spiritual encouragement through the cross work of Christ that we might live truly devoted to the task of living freely and gratefully for him. For as we will see, Christ has released us from the suffering and the agony of sin, taking all that suffering and agony upon himself in his own body, that you and I might walk gloriously and victoriously over sin, rejoicing in that everlasting and abundant life that he has purchased for us. For what greater joy can you and I possibly possess, even in the very midst of our earthly sufferings, than the knowledge that you and I shall suffer no more because of our sins, because of Christ. And that the life that we now live, freed from the penalty and bondage of sin, is his gift to us enabling us to visibly manifest the fruits of righteousness for his honor and praise. And so what Christ has done enables us to live and to testify as those who are delivered from wrath and alive unto God. And how did Christ deliver us? Well, Peter tells us here, in the first five words of verse 24, which read as follows, he himself bore our sins. He himself bore our sins. For here in these first five words that we find here in this verse are what some have described as the very heart of the gospel the very heart of the gospel, the good news for those whom God has chosen for salvation, for the essence of the gospel 
this morning is not that God loves us and has a wonderful plan for our lives. Although God does love his people and he does work all things for their good, but rather the true historical message of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3, and that there is true salvation, there is deliverance for us in what Christ did. In fact, in these five words, he himself bore our sins, we find three rich spiritual themes that when understood separately and together give us a much greater and fuller appreciation of what Christ did for us on the cross. And the first theme is expressed in these first two words, he himself. He himself. For these two words speak, first of all, to us about our Lord's self-sacrifice. Our Lord's self-sacrifice. For when it came to providing for the salvation of God's elect, Christ himself willingly chose to come to this earth in obedience to his Father and to present himself a ransom for us. And when it came to choosing to submit to the cruelty of death upon a tree, Jesus freely surrendered his own body as a sacrifice for sin. And when it came to enduring the wrath of God against sin, Christ chose to willingly drink of that bitter cup of suffering in order that we might not have to drink of that cup ourselves, but that we might drink freely of the cup of God's salvation instead. Indeed, everything that Jesus Christ did, leading up to and including his death on the cross, he did out of willing self-sacrifice. For he himself chose to do it. I want you to think about that. He freely and willingly chose to do it. No one forced him to do it. Not even the Father compelled him to do it against his own divine will. No, Christ's will was in perfect divine harmony with his Father's will. For the Lord Jesus desired only what his Father desired. He desired only to please his Father. And in pleasing his Father, Christ chose willingly to sacrifice himself, to lay down his own life for God the Father's good pleasure and for the accomplishment of our salvation. For Jesus declared the purpose of his self-sacrifice in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. Let me read these verses for you. Jesus said, For this reason my Father loves me, in other words, when my father sees me, he delights in me. His love for me swells up within him because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father, and therefore 
when we think of Christ's work on the cross, when we think of what Jesus did for our redemption, we must not think that his sacrifice was an unwilling sacrifice. We must not think that he reluctantly stumbled forward towards the cross, resenting what he was called to do and mumbling under his breath that his life was too costly to sacrifice or that God was simply too demanding of him, but rather Jesus willingly submitted. Jesus set his face as a flint to Jerusalem. He willingly stretched himself out upon the cross. Indeed, nothing could have held him there otherwise. And Christ sacrificed his life for ours. Yes, he, he loved his father. Yes, he died out of obedience to the father above all, but he also died for us as the good shepherd. And he did that willingly. In fact, earlier in this same chapter in John's Gospel, John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, Jesus declared with affection for us. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life. I give it up freely for the sheep. Therefore, as we ponder what Christ has done for us, let us remember that no one else has sacrificed so much. No one else has sacrificed so willingly, so selflessly in order that we who truly deserve nothing might receive so bountifully, so endlessly the gift of eternal salvation. Oh, may this knowledge that Christ himself chose death on the tree for us compel us to live life gratefully and boldly and courageously for him. Then let us notice in these remaining words, bore our sins on a tree that two more themes arise which complete the picture of our redemption more fully. These are the themes of substitution and satisfaction. Substitution and satisfaction. For clearly these words bore our sins, also point to the fact that Christ was our substitute, meaning that Christ actually suffered and Christ was punished for sin in our place, on our behalf, because of us. And that what Christ purchased for us was something valuable beyond compare. And these vital themes are important for us to know and to consider as well. For when we rightly consider that Christ was our substitute, we cannot help but marvel that he would freely do so. For who are we? Who are you? Who am I that would deserve such attention? Who are you? Who am I that would merit such consideration? Who are we that the Son of God should take any interest in us at all? And yet, even more than being interested in us, he died for us. He took our place. He was our substitute. 
Yes, even more than responding with pity, he actually received in his own body the stripes. He actually received in his own body the beating, the wincing, the agony that should have been ours. And even more than showing us compassion, he laid down his own life. He spilled his own innocent blood for us who were formerly his enemies. Indeed, Christ's work of substitution for us, his willingness to stand in our place, to bear the weight and the guilt of our sins. Yes, every last one of our vile and ugly sins upon himself is a concept that is almost too amazing to fathom. For who would do such a wonderful thing? And yet all of this speaks to Christ's amazing love. It speaks of his commitment to present us faultless before his Father in glory, which could not have happened unless he suffered in our place, which could not have happened if Jesus had not willingly purchased our freedom. Then, of course, this thought leads us lastly to this theme of satisfaction, doesn't it? Satisfaction. For when Jesus surrendered up his life for us, when he fully bore the weight of our sins for us, he did something that no one else could do. And that is that he offered up his sinless life in exchange for our wicked life. He offered up his holy and righteous and perfect life in exchange for our lawless and rebellious life. He offered up his precious spotless blood in exchange for all of our futile and worthless efforts to appease God's justice on our own. And when God the Father, who is rich in mercy, saw Christ's free and perfect and spotless offering of himself, the Father was fully satisfied. Yes, and he will remain satisfied throughout all eternity was Christ's sacrifice for those whom the Father has given to him. And therefore, when Christ bore our sins on the tree, that tree being a place where things were cursed and placed on public display for all to see, when Christ bore our sins on the tree, he, he not only demonstrated the supreme act of willing self-sacrifice, displaying the supreme obedience to his Father, but Christ also acting on our behalf and in our place, provided, presented himself and his sacrificial work on the cross as that one thing, that only thing that would completely satisfy divine justice forever. When the Father saw the Son's sacrifice on the cross, when the Father heard His Son cry out from the cross, It is finished! His wrath against our sin was removed forever, never more to be rekindled, no more to resurface. For at that moment our sins were atoned for, our sins were cast into the depths of the sea. All of our sins were removed from us as far as the east is from the west, and they shall never, ever be remembered again. 
Because Jesus Christ, having suffered once and for all for our sin and for my sin and for your sin, has removed from us the penalty of sin. He has taken away the the sting of sin by gloriously demonstrating his victory and triumph over it all. And because he has, you and I have received a freedom. You and I have received this morning a way of living that not only honors God, but which also secures and promotes our own spiritual happiness as well. For Christ has ensured that his people will receive all the benefits of what he has accomplished while on the cross. We asked this morning, what were the benefits of his death? What benefits did he accomplish for us? Well, notice, according to Peter here in verse 24 as well, 1 Peter chapter 2, that Christ bore our sins on the tree so that you and I, his people, might experience two things. Two things. The first being death unto sin. Death unto sin. What does this mean? What does it mean to be dead unto sin? Well, at a very minimum, it means that sin no longer has absolute power over us. It no longer has a claim over us in terms of our future state and our spiritual status for what chains of bondage existed in the past, what hold that sin kept us pinned under before have been completely broken. Its hold has been severed completely. You and I, we are believers this morning in the Lord Jesus Christ, are no longer captive to sin. We are no longer sold under sin. We are no longer its property. We are no longer its slave. But rather, we have been completely freed from it. For through Christ dying under our sin, through our identification with Jesus Christ as our sin bearer, we are now dead to sin with respect to our position and our status before God. For because of Christ's death for us, sin can no longer include us, can no longer claim us, it can no longer name us in the ranks of those who are caught up in it. Sin can no longer hold us prisoner, it can no longer exercise its harsh and cruel tyranny and ownership over us, for we are dead to it. We are no longer subject to its beck and call. We are no longer following blindly after its leading. We are no longer cowering before its commands. Because now by the grace of God, now by the work of the Holy Spirit, we follow a different master. And we walk along a completely different path. For having died through Christ's death to sin, we are made alive unto Christ's life through Christ's glorious resurrection. In fact, Peter states here in verse 24 as well that the second benefit we receive through the work that Christ has done for us in bearing our sins on the cross, on the tree, is that we now live to righteousness. We now live to righteousness, meaning what? Meaning that we are not only righteous before God, but we've also received the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to live righteous lives to walk in a truly righteous manner, promoting God's glory and laboring diligently for his kingdom. For you see, brethren, 
when we were formerly under the hold and the sway of sin, a life of righteousness was never a possibility. We're being under the sway and the control of sin, being held captive to its hurtful ways. We were powerless to live righteous lives. In fact, this is why Christ alone had to free us. He had to come and through his righteous deeds and dying and surrendering his life, he, he had to purchase for us a, a new life, a life that was established on the foundation that he laid, a life that would be fueled and energized by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us who are given the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, a life that would yield the fruits of righteousness. Yes, this is what Peter means here in verse 24 when he speaks of us as living under righteousness. Christ bore our sins upon the tree to make this happen. Christ delivered us from the power of reigning sin so that we might live a full and obedient life that glorifies him. Yes, Christ, through the power of his death and life, has delivered us from sin, the very thing that kept us spiritual slaves in the past. Christ has caused us to die to sin, the very thing that kept us powerless in the past. Christ has made us alive unto him with a new desire and a new ability to live righteous lives in his power. In fact, now we have the power to live for him. Now we have the power to glorify him. In fact, dear friend, if you think about it, Christ in taking our punishments, Christ in bearing our wounds has made us spiritually whole. Spiritually whole. Christ has made us morally well. He has given us a righteous state, a quality of spiritual life that cannot be experienced apart from his grace and cannot be explained apart from his working. It's an amazing life. A life of freedom and grace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In fact, Peter says it best here in the final words of verse 24, by his wounds you have been healed. You have been healed. And of course, the healing that Peter refers to here is, is far more significant, far more lasting than mere physical healing. In fact, to insist, as some do today, that Peter is only referring to physical healing here really trivializes and minimalizes what Peter is boldly declaring here in verse 24. Peter is not focusing on the physical here. He's not just talking about physical healing from ailments, which could come back again and again, but he's talking about spiritual wholeness, spiritual healing. In fact, the only reference here to the physical is what Christ physically suffered in his physical body in order to give us a spiritual healing that exceeds the benefits that come through physical healing alone. The healing that Christ purchased for us through his own wounds is a spiritual healing, and it's an amazing healing because it involves death. A healing that involves death, death to sin. It's a spiritual healing that also involves the giving of a new life, a life that is 
created by God in us unto righteousness rather than restoring an old life. Yes, the healing that Christ purchased for us, the healing that Christ applies to us in the new creation, in the new birth, is an entirely new thing. It is an impartation of spiritual life unto spiritual individuals who were once dead. It's a, a healing that never has to be repeated again. It is that which brings perfection of soul through all eternity. And therefore, when we think of what Christ has accomplished through his wounds, through his wounds, through his genuine human agony, let us not think too narrowly. Let us not apply its benefits too sparingly. Let us not think only in terms of physical benefits alone but rather let us think of Christ's work on the tree as that one remedy for what our souls, which were once enslaved to Satan and sin, truly needed. And that being deliverance from the penalty and the power of sin, with the freedom and ability to live righteously by the Spirit's power in the sight of God. And unless we see Christ and his work through this perspective, as it is presented to us in Scripture, we will not understand its full significance, nor will we appreciate its vast and rich benefits. But when we, through the eyes of faith, see Christ bearing our sins, and may God, through his Spirit, give you that vision today through the scriptures of Christ bearing your sins, receiving your wounds, surrendering his physical life in your place, then we began to see the true wonder and beauty of it all. That's where it begins. In fact, when we understand what Christ did and why he did it, and what we receive from it, there is not a more wonderful statement, not a more comforting statement than these words, by his wounds, you have been healed. Oh, thank you, dear Father, for sending your Son to die, to sacrifice himself for your people. Thank you, dear Jesus Christ, for bearing our sins in your body upon that cursed tree, taking the full weight of the penalty that we earned and deserved. Thank you, dear Spirit of God, for giving us new life in Jesus Christ through the power of his resurrection, that we may all live not to sin, no, not to sin willingly and deliberately anymore, but to live righteously by Jesus Christ. May the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be glorified through 
the proclamation of God's word today and through our response as a grateful people who endeavor by the Spirit's fullness and power to bring honor and glory to Him. May God receive all the glory this morning. Let's pray. Let's pray. Our God and Father, how we thank you for these precious words this morning. Jesus Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree, and that by his wounds we have been healed. We would pray this morning that all of us who are present here today would know the truth of this statement, that we would possess not merely an intellectual knowledge of it, but a saving knowledge of it through the work of your Spirit. May everyone in this room today, by your grace and by your mercy, know what it is to be spiritually healed, to be alive unto God, to be dead unto sin, to bring forth the fruits of righteousness for Christ's sake. And if there's somebody here today who's outside of Jesus Christ, who has never understood what Jesus did on the cross and the way that we've attempted to explain it today and the way that Peter explains it here in verse 24, may you grant them that understanding and help them to apply it to their own situation, the saving of their soul. Father, for us who are Christians, for those of us who have been healed, and we know that we have been healed because of the inward witness of the Holy Spirit that says we are the children of God. May this reminder this morning of what Christ has done for us increase our desire to live for Him, to bring forth the fruits of righteousness, to live lovingly and courageously for Him who did so much for us. Give us that grace today that you might be honored and glorified through the preaching of your word today. And thank you, Father, for the presence of the Holy Spirit. May he work now in the hearts of all who are present, performing that work that only the Holy Spirit can do. No preacher can do it. No congregation can do it. Only the Spirit of God can do it. May he do that work that is needed in this congregation and in our individual lives today. For we ask these things in Jesus' blessed name.